Hi everyone, welcome back to Be More, where I interview people to find out how you can be a little bit more of every role within the ecosystem. Today's session, we are focusing on data architects. I am joined here by Martin, who will be walking us through this role, explaining what it is, and also inspiring you to maybe be a little bit more data architect and potentially go down this career path your, yourself in the near future. So without further ado, Martin, great to have you here today. Are you able to start by introducing yourself? Hi, Tom. Yeah, it's really nice to be talking to you about data states, my favourite subject. Uh, so I've been working in the CRM space for about 20 years now. Started off with uh, Siebel, uh, consulting in Siebel. Uh, did that for a few years, uh, moved in-house from there, worked at BT and uh, Experian. Uh, working on their Siebel systems, and then decided to jump ship to force Salesforce. And uh, since then, I've been consulting in Salesforce in a couple of different organizations. Um, right now, I'm at Slalom. And yeah, my my specialism now has become data architecture, data migrations, and really everything data-related. Perfect. Thanks for that. Well, looking forward to this conversation today. And maybe we, we could start by you expanding on what is the role of, of a data architect? Maybe you can give our audience some insights into that. So I think the data architecture is is primarily the person on the project who cares the most about the data that's being used in the processes that were being implemented. My roles are usually project-related because I'm a consultant. I'm not someone um, working in-house anymore, so I don't have that ongoing uh, relationship with the systems. But in a nutshell, it's going to be the person who's looking at that project and asking questions about the data. So they'll be asking who's using this data, why are they using it, when are they going to use it, how long do they need to use it for, um, how much data do they need to store, and then where does it all need to go? So you're looking at things like data modeling, uh, what custom fields to create on what object, how much data is going to go into each object, whether you have large data volume considerations, then leading on to things like data retention policies, archiving, deleting. You may also find yourself working around um, data migration activities. So how do you get the data into the system to get it running with the archival stuff? How do you get it out again? So you're going to need in this role to understand how Salesforce stores the data, where it stores it, and how to access it through the APIs. And I think there's a, a broader kind of governance aspect to the role as well. So thinking about data being kind of a bit toxic in that if you store it and they don't use it, it's not really an asset anymore. It becomes a liability, especially if it's not stored securely. You've got that. A governance and security aspect of the role as well, where you've really got to be worrying about most everything to, related to what's going into the system, what's coming out of the system. So it can be fairly a fairly broad role. I think there's a lot of aspects of it that go from the kind of functional business analysis side through to overall sort of process work and also technical architecture and understanding data flows between systems, which then is a little bit integration architecture. But well, everything we're doing with CRM systems is about data being in the right place and usable at the right time. Personally, quite interested in that as a solution architect. I kind of overlap a little bit with this role as well and figuring yeah. out where where data needs to go and kind of almost scaring the customer a little bit by saying, hmm, have you got an archive strategy? Do you actually know how often you want to keep this data for you? Yeah. So 
I think they often get quite excited about having a shiny new system to use and they don't want to think about the boring things like, yeah. uh, are you going to get rid of this data? How long do you want to keep it for? You know, are you adhering to your legal uh, requirements and your regulatory requirements? Yeah, they, they don't, all, yeah, they often don't really want to be thinking about that. Well, they just want the nice shiny features. Uh, yeah. But that's the responsibility that we bring is is to make sure they're thinking about those things so that they don't get bitten by them. Uh, when the regulator comes calling or, you know, any other bad thing happens in the future, they've already got a plan in place. Um, and that that's part of the kind of professional aspect of the role, I think, is to bring that uh, sober thinking around what they're doing with the system. I think you kind of touched on like regulatory requirements there being being a consideration, but also storage requirements are consideration mm -hmm. as well you know so large data volumes are you able to explain yes. that a little bit more for our audience yeah yes so uh, the way that salesforce handles your data is a bit different to how you might uh, interact with it say with a database they're hiding it away from you and providing you a way of accessing it and you're sharing that infrastructure with a whole load of other customers so they have instigated these governance like limits that sit over the platform and make sure that everyone's playing nicely you know you're looking at if, if you're hitting like millions of records in a one particular object then you're going to start to hit some of the large data volume issues one other key number is 10,000 so if you've got any record that is a parent of 10,000 children or you've got uh, any user that owns more than 10,000 records that's when you're going to encounter large data volume issues mm -hmm. and it really comes down to the fact that you just can't access the data directly in the same way you would with a, with a database. You're going through an API. You've got to behave nicely because of the other tenants on the infrastructure. So there are some rules that you need to work around. A lot of the work that a data architect will do is look at some of the non-functional requirements alongside the functional requirements and try and spot the things that are going to catch people out later on. What will happen is if you don't consider the large data volume questions up front, the system won't be scalable. So it'll be okay for the first few weeks, few months. If you've got millions of records coming into an object over a number of years, once you get to that point, the queries are going to take absolutely ages to run. Okay, for each process, how many records am I expecting to see over what time period? What's the, the growth in the data? What's the size of the data? You know, how big are the records as well? Do I really need to store this information and then make a plan for dealing with that data and also try and make sure that your solution is as is optimized as possible so that it doesn't capture any more data than it you need to use to get the job done. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I love how you've you've touched on data skew without using the word data skew as well. <laughs> That's something that I've just learned on, on how to do that. So I love the, the golden rule of 10,000. That is super important, like 10,000 records that look up to another record, 10,000 records that are related to an account or 10,000 records in an object that are owned by the same user. That's when you can start to have issues. So apart from the, I think the most glaring one, which is like, don't use a generic account and have everybody related to the same account. What other things would you kind of suggest? As you've mentioned, this usually happens where I will. I mean, this, I'm being a bit harsh. The solution hasn't been well thought out enough. So 
the business apps have said, oh, yeah, we just put everything in a bucket or, oh, we don't really know who to assign you to or, or you have a really woolly visibility rule. So, oh, we need everybody to have access to this. So can we just put it against one person? Or perhaps it's an integration user. And the records are by default owned by the integration user. They're not properly reassigned. So first, the first solution is to sort that out and to say, well, no, actually, these records, if it's ownership skew, these, these could be owned by a specific person who's using them. And if not, then we need to find a way of distributing them across the system so that they don't cause skew. Or if they are owned by anyone, that user sits um, at the top of the role hierarchy if they have to be in the role hierarchy or completely yeah. outside the role hierarchy. The reason that's important is that it comes down to the way Salesforce calculates sharing uh, and visibility. So any record owned by someone in that role hierarchy is also visible to everybody above them in the role hierarchy assuming that you've got grant access using hierarchies set up for that object. So standard objects, you can't, can't change that, but some custom objects you can. Um, so if you have 10,000 or more records owned by one person at the bottom of your role hierarchy, Salesforce has to then replicate all the sharing records all the way up the hierarchy to the top. If you've got to have one person owning more than 10,000 records, put them outside or at the top of the role hierarchy so Salesforce doesn't have to recalculate all those sharing rules or put them in an object which doesn't use sharing rules. So, for example, a public read-write object or something like that. With other things where you have lookups, I think, say, for example, you might see this situation in a retail setup where you're storing transactions and you have very large volumes of transactions coming in against particular accounts. In that situation, you, you do need them to be linked to that parent account, but you need to ask yourself, well, how much data do I really need to store in Salesforce? And so move the data out into perhaps a big object or off-platform completely once it's fulfilled its usefulness. And if you need aggregate level information for reporting purposes, then you can use tools like um, Data Cloud or Analytics and Tableau to pull that data out, aggregate it and, and retain the usefulness, but not the detail. Yeah, it really comes down to thinking ahead and trying to avoid getting into that situation from the beginning, because clearing out millions of records is much harder than not accumulating them in the first place. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's great, solid advice there. And you you kind of touched on it, so I'm, I'm glad we, we went down this path. Pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. The The data architect kind of role is that a full-time responsibility or is that a responsibility that you do amongst other responsibilities as well i think to be honest it probably is as it's called part-time however oh. i've kind of made it full-time because i work on multiple <laughs> projects at a time in the life cycle of a project the things you're doing as a data architect will change so at the earliest phases in um, discovery and design you're looking at the data modeling and the, where the fields are going and then you're probably going to be the person that then starts to work on the data migration, if there is one. And there usually is. You're not so much doing the architecture of the system, but actually looking at the architecture and implementation of the data migration activity. And because you've got those strong data architecture skills, you can then apply that to understanding how to get the data in, how to test against it, how to initialize things. What you might see in, say, the data architect cert, those activities aren't necessarily for the entirety of the project lifecycle, but mm -hmm. you can certainly make good use of those skills if you apply them to uh, working on the data migration. Does it kind of cover data transformation and cleaning as well? So I think the data cleaning is something that 
I don't get into very often because of my role as a consultant, whereas I think if I were working or responsible for the administration or management of an in-house platform, that is something that an in-house data architect would be key yeah. to, is defining those cleansing rules and managing them. Transformation, I think, does fit into that, that kind of data migrating kind of area. Mm. So whether that would be writing an Apex class to do the transformation on platform or you know, writing something to pull it out, do it in Python and then put it back in again. Yeah, yeah, those are those are skills that would apply, and yeah, that's that is the sort of stuff we you know we get involved with on our projects as well. It's, it's say where we've got an uplift or a change or refactoring of a data model, we have to work out how to transform that old data model into the new one. Most of the time, that happens when moving from one system to another, so it's more of a data migration than an on-platform transformation. It does happen, especially with CPU projects, mm. where we go from one product catalog structure to a completely different one my take on the whole like data cleaning part of it is ultimately you're there to provide a consultancy type role which is why i don't personally see that within this arena and i kind of threw the question mm. out to you on purpose to see what your thoughts were on that because ultimately it's not your data right it's the customer's yeah. data they're the closest to it they are the the owners and i guess experts in that data is that a fair assumption do you think it is and identifying who owns the data is critical because mm. they have to accept the way in which it's been cleaned and you can't just merge a whole load of records and go to them we're like oh here's your nice clean data they're going to ask yeah. questions or they should ask questions about well why have you merged this and why have you merged, merged that where's my other data gone and unless you really understand the the data itself and not just from an abstract kind of oh i understand data modeling etc yeah. unless you're actually using and owning and responsible for that data i don't feel you can really make those decisions mm. yeah with much confidence you think really it's much better if the person who's doing or making those decisions has a responsibility to the business for making them and can justify them to the business and, and that's why often on our projects we try and get that to be a customer data owner it really helps also to build ownership so that once we roll off and they take ownership of the platform they own the data they understand it they're not just saying oh yeah i don't know what was loaded in here it's all rubbish they can take you know, yeah. ownership of that data they are the data owner it's their data they own it they decide whether it gets merged cleaned on a, on a day-to-day -day, on a project what type of other people or other roles do you kind of liaise with we've, we've touched on consultant already and technical architect are there any other ones that kind of come to mind that it's really important for you to align with and make sure that you're both on the same page yes so as you, as you say the, the more functional or business analysts um consultants solution architects and technical architects from an underlying platform point of view but on the customer side certainly being well connected to the testers so mm. that when they're testing their uh, the processes that they're also testing that the uh, the data works for them as well. So one of the key aspects for a, any data migration is working out that the data that has been migrated works with the new processes. So they need to understand what you've done to the data in order to get it into that system. I also mentioned just now the, uh, the data owners. So the customer is key. So the people who will use and own the data need to be involved in the decision making about not just the data migration, but also the data modeling as well. So they need to be yeah. aware of where their data is going to sit in the in the system, how they're going to access it, how many clicks that's going to take, whether it makes sense to them, and you know how they can get their data out again by reporting or you know 
analyzing it in the way they need to do their job, how they can get their KPIs out. So yes, yeah, so those are the, the main people, the, the data owners, the data users and the testers. I love the fact that you touched on the testers and I think just adding my own kind of flavor thoughts here, please test with realistic data. Oh yeah, test. definitely. With the data migration, it's an interesting problem. So according to some best practices, we should never put production data into test systems. Mm-hmm. However, you never really know whether your system is going to work with your migrated data if you don't test it on that migrated data. And you can't test it in production because itself you've got one production system. So you need to get as close as possible. The worst thing you could do is not test on the data that you're going to migrate in and not test your system on that data as well. So there's two aspects to it. So what in the one hand, you could solve this by crafting a set of data that you think fits the processes and which should be what you're going to be using. But if you then migrate in all the data from your old system and it doesn't meet those assumptions, nothing's going to work. I always try and couch in terms of being uh, the, the data that we're testing with is representative of production. So you need to look at your production data and recreate some anonymized or pseudonymized data set that is as close as possible as you can get it to real production data. And at some point, you probably want to do a dry run and just smoke test it with real real production data, perhaps lock down your test system so that only a few people can access it, minimize the exposure and the risk, uh, turn off all outbound emails, all that yeah. sort of stuff so that you can use as something as close to production as possible because otherwise it's it's going to be a nightmare in production when you load in stuff that just doesn't fit, doesn't work, blows a load of validation rules and all can use the system because everything's getting error messages everywhere. Yeah, no, definitely. A hundred percent like the data makes a system, right? So the data's got to be good and you've got to test yeah. realistic data. Otherwise you're not really testing. Um so we're kind of coming up to time. So we're going to move into like a quick fire round now. What okay. tips advice would you give to those looking out to start in in this type of role? I think start with the, the basic principles of data modeling. So look at how databases are set up, what are transactional databases, what differences between that and an analytical database. Yeah. And then with that, look at actually how Salesforce has implemented it, subtle differences that affect how things perform. But if you understand basic database modeling, then you will be able to understand it in Salesforce. So that's one of the key things. And then just get playing and, and building um, out little toy models, do the um, the trailheads and um, some of the super badges. Yeah, definitely. And kind of get stuck in with like things like schema builder and stuff like that to understand how things connect. Yeah. Together, right. I think that's, that's great advice. What about... Any particular skills, attributes for people kind of wanting to develop in this area? I guess analytical skills, problem solving skills. I think you've got to like the data. You've got to be interested in in mapping things. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to be a bit of a pedant sometimes about things like data types and matching up column widths and field mm. sizes and whether things are compatible with each other and worrying about foreign keys and uniqueness um, yeah. and understanding what uh, case sensitivity and why that's important. Those sorts of things but generally, yeah, just caring about getting the data right and looking after it and being and making sure that it's secure and usable. What about if there was a myth or something that you want to kind of debunk about this role when it comes to data and data architecture? I think it, it probably doesn't sound as sexy as some of the other roles people think it's a bit boring and yeah you don't get to play around with shiny user interfaces so much Uh, but I do find it quite satisfying when 
you can load in like millions of records really quickly or you can move data around very quickly that's that's fun um i do like the satisfaction of just being able to implement something that works for the users so yeah the the myth is that it's not fun it is fun maybe it's about kind of relating and and working with data that interests you right or like industries that that you are kind of keen on is that fair yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And just fixing the problems that people have with it. So, you know, if people have got performance problems and they're all, a lot of the problems going to be around having too much data in an object or things not being optimized. So you can make things much better for people very, very quickly. And I guess you get that satisfaction at the end as well. You've made it better and you can yeah. see the end result too. Awesome. Okay. So I'm afraid we are kind of coming to a close a little bit. Is there a way or, or any particular kind of content or references that you would like to to share with people on how they can kind of connect with this role more? Do, do you have any advice? I think definitely the best thing to do, and what I would have liked to have done earlier in my career, is engage with the Salesforce community, go mm-hmm. to the meetups and the uh, developer groups and the and the architect groups, meet other people and talk about it, about the roles that are available and the activities and, and share what you're doing. I know of a few people who are fairly early on in there their careers are kind of reluctant to speak at meetups and I think it's actually a really good thing to do is to actually put something into a into a presentation deck and go and practice speaking to yeah people it really helps with consulting skills confidence and you learn a lot more by doing a presentation to other people about the subject you're talking about because you have to answer their questions and stuff so I think that's what I signpost people to is to if you're interested engage with the community in whatever way you can and then actually start talking about what you're doing. Um, and do you have any particular shout outs to your own social media? Is there any details that you'd like to share in case people want to get in touch? Yeah, so I am on Twitter and, um, well, X, I suppose I could call it. Yeah. And on probably LinkedIn is probably the best place from a, a professional point of view. Uh, so I'm Martin Gardner on Born to be Mild, the number two on Twitter. Um, yeah, and I'm on there mostly um, posting about data issues data security information security all that stuff it'd be great to see everybody on there awesome great stuff well thanks for joining me today and hopefully inspiring our audience to be a little bit more data architect the the session's been great and i'm glad with how it's turned out so uh, thanks again for your time thanks for tuning in to be more with tom bassett don't forget to like subscribe and leave any feedback in the comments